Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hello. Welcome back. Mr. Siddons. Wonderful, hey. wonderful to see you. I feel like I haven't seen you in so long. It's not been that long. We saw each other Saturday night at your casa. Oh, and then, uh, you know, four hours ago. Yeah, yeah that's true. On, on, <laughs> Zoom, on Zoom, but it was on better. Zoom. Better in person on, on Saturday night. And, of course, Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crable. What's up? Yeah, it was nice to see you guys in person. Socially distanced, of course. Yeah, we had a good time. I think that's the first time I've seen the both of you at the same time since last March or February. Yeah, April, I think, yeah. at, my, at my wife's drive-by birthday. That's right. Mm, yep. That's right. That, yeah. that, that would have been so. We're coming up on a, coming up on a year. Um, it's great to be back, folks. We have a great show tonight. Uh, as always, uh, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Uh, we are excited uh, in this episode of Ed's Not Dead to welcome two guests from Bond, building our network of diversity project. It's an organization that focuses on recruitment, development, retention, and the empowerment of male educators of color. Mr. Siddons, good job. Booking our our bond guests. Yes, I've, and you have, I, and you have I've the had bond shirt. Sure. I do. I'm a bond ally. Yes, the bond conferences, and uh, we're, I'm excited to have have our conversation with them tonight. Yeah, it's going to be great. Glad they're coming on, and we are going to dive into two pretty different uh, takes on public education. Uh, the COVID nineteen stress test in two school districts was recently in the Washington Post, and then we're going to go back in time to 2012 and read a little bit about Richard Elmore and his quote, I do not believe in the institutional structure of public schooling anymore, which uh, pretty much defeats the purpose of this show. <laughs> there is no system. <laughs> there is no system. Well, it'll be good because he is an, is, well, was an influential leader. Yes, he uh, was. Who pioneered instructional rounds, which yeah. if you're an educator, I venture to guess that 75% of you have participated in some sort yes. of instructional rounds. Yeah, it yes. was a, instructional rounds was a little bit above my cognitive ability as far as <laughs> teaching and learning. Um, so yeah, so we're going to dig into those two articles. But before we do that, you can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. And of course, check out the website, edsnotdead.com and... The big news big is news. <laughs> Pandemic Pass debuted Thursday, February 4th. That's right. In the new year, it is uh, Mr. Siddons' new side gig. Uh, there's a new episode each Thursday morning. Uh, four episodes have posted so far. Pandemic Pass, uh, tell us all about it. It's uh, So the, the genesis of Pandemic Pass came in, I don't know, October, November, and uh, I, I wanted to do something where, you know, I, I figured we'd be exiting this pandemic at some point. I didn't know when. <laughs> and I was like, let me, you know, there's really not a, a good sense of uh, telling the stories around how we exit this pandemic and what we do after. Like there's all these talks about how teaching and learning is happening. And there's even now more stories about um, what it's like to return to school. But there's not really a sense, a really good conversation happening around repairing the damage that is already happening in front of us. So uh, what I did was I emailed some old connections, some new connections, brought some people onto the, onto zoom. And, um, I, I'm starting, we start well, there's four episodes. We talked with, um, Iowa, Iowa, let's see the Des Moines, Iowa superintendent, Dr. Ahart in the first episode, talked to some students for the second episode, talked to parents and, and about parents and COVID and how they're coping and the most recent one that posted was, it sounds very um, dark and dreary, The Way Out. It sounds like a <laughs> Kurt Russell movie or something. Um, but it's basically the, the most recent one was starting from like the federal level. I, I, re, I redid our Congressman Bobby Scott interview. And then I moved to the state level with Delegate Janelle Wilkins. And then I moved to a more on the ground look with Dr. Josh Starr, who is the CEO of PDK International. So that was friend. the most recent one. My friend, Dr. Starr. That's right. Yeah, that's great. So all the interviews are done. Nice. So have, have, you, have you, what's it like doing it by yourself? Have you missed your two sidekicks? I do. I, I very <laughs> a loaded question right there. I know. I do miss you guys a lot because like, I feel like, you know, the, the interviews are hard. Cheater. To do. Cheater. The interviews are hard <laughs> to do 
with, with on zoom and even in person in a lot of ways, but doing it by yourself, like I'm trying to provide some commentary and context first. And then there is some upside to it cause it's just me and I can interrupt them and stop them whenever I want. But uh, <laughs> it, I think you having other folks be part of the conversation adds a, a different layer uh, and different complexity because you all bring different ideas to this this whole podcast, which makes it great. So I do miss you guys, and uh, we have a lot of different guests coming up. Um, Rick Wormley is is going to be on. Um, I brought in Joe Feldman. If you remember Joe Feldman, great equity. Yeah, I do remember um, Joe Feldman. Trying to get Zaretta Hammond, almost got her, and uh, she went into her writing cave. Phyllis Fagel. Yeah. Oh, Phyllis Fagel, friend friend of the show. Yep. Uh, I, t- I told her we were recording tonight. She was excited uh, about hearing it. Well, uh, Mr. Sids, great job. Pandemic Pass. Uh, listeners, check it out. New episodes each Thursday morning. Uh, and um, knowing Casey, he's going to have a lot of tremendous guests on it. So, and I will have- say, I, Robbie, sorry. I think we need to really appreciate what Peter does for us for the pod. Oh yeah, he does, he does all of our audio editing, and that's yeah. what I've been doing with Pandemic Pass. <laughs> and it is no small task takes a long takes a long time a lot more than i ever could have anticipated mm. yeah mr. i feel mr. appreciated so i appreciate you peter mr mr crable produces the show yeah and, and and directs yeah and directs and you book and i do do very little all right <laughs> you what about, uh, two, two things i do want to say pandemic pass you can find on the ed's not dead website yes. right uh under podcasts you will see um pandemic pass is its own category um, as well as us on our lips and feed. Um, so it's just kind of like a sub. It's a subreddit of uh, It's Not Dead. <laughs> and, an- and another podcast, the I Hate Politics podcast, uh, hosted by local thought leader, uh, Sunil Dasgupta. And is that on the Ed's Not Dead uh, website, Mr. Krabs? No, he's, he started his own, uh, his own side pod, but it's under the Ed's Not Dead and Pulp Education umbrella okay and cool you can find him at i h p p o d the i hate politics pod and uh, it's a little tongue-in-cheek obviously it's not it's, yeah, it's not pretty it's pretty cool yeah. it's yeah. yeah it's it's not a railing against politics it's you know everybody likes to complain about it but he really delves into uh the nitty-gritty of how politics and governance um shape and help people's lives yep on on ways that um you know you just would i think take for granted or just not think about he's a he's, he's got so, some really Sunil's a brilliant guy he was he's a former it's not dead guest that's right he, yeah. he's got some really neat commentary on there and he's got some really great guests who uh i think he's got some really cool connections for folks that he's bringing on and the conversations are really fruitful and i'm enjoying it and we'll, we'll have to get him on the show to talk about uh, to, to boost his own pod. All right. Um, the Ed's Not Dead pulp education family is expanding. It's happening, it's right. it's happening Robbie. It I, I, I know. I actually, though, I, I get credit for coining the, the phrase about our, our, our burgeoning empire. What did I call it? <laughs> we were, we were going we to be the deaf jam of podcasts. The, yeah. de- <laughs> the deaf jam. Right? Like, I don't remember day hearing day that, but I like it. I, I remember hearing that. I just, I just yeah. I think you thought it was a lot cooler than it was. Oh, okay, sorry. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, us. All right. Is that, do they still do things? I, I don't know. They're they're from my they're from my era. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. I, I fall out. <laughs> Touch a little bit with that <laughs> that time in my life. All right, show feedback. It is all you, Mister Sids. Is this all? Is this all? The, <laughs> pandemic past it is it is well i mean that's the that's some of the most recent content that's been out so got it we have a friend of the pod francis frost frost who said uh great to hear npta president and national pta with one of my favorite podcasters me ch Siddons. very good parents must be included in the conversation about learning during covid whether learning continues virtual or in person so thank you francis for listening and and chiming in on twitter appreciate it and then uh, we have another new listener. I haven't seen this uh, Twitter handle before. Celeste Carruthers, who said, great to hear Uzek opine on school reopenings here, which is also part of um, the parents and COVID episode. I did. I interviewed Dr. Umut Uzek, who's like, he's a, a, a man of many trades. He's a, an economist. Uh, he's a parent. He's uh, an educational researcher. 
and a really, really bright guy. And I hope you get a chance to listen to it if you haven't, my friends. So that's, that's the feedback that we have. And I, w- I wanted to add one thing. And that was a, it's a uh, terrible thing, by the way. <laughs> a, it's, it's an awful thing. And I'm, it's really sad. Um, so the, I wrote in April, May, that uh, is it the end of snow days in the midst of COVID. And uh, uh, as the prognosticator of the group, I, I think I won that terrible thing. It was terrible. terrible. It was a prediction I hoped wouldn't come true. And I got to say, I feel a little bit like you brought it into existence. (laughs) Like I blame you for it happening more than, more than zero. I remember us. I remember us. I I remember saying something about teachers shouldn't be paid on snow days. Wow. You did? I I, I think I remember, I think I remember saying that I, I, I inherited that from my father. He always, he, he, he thought that that was the hugest waste of money ever. The teachers were paid on snow days. I hope that we get two snow of days you, back. Yeah, I hope we get snow days back. It uh, maybe it'll be in a different form. Maybe it'll be like asynchronous learning, but I hope that there's actual snow days. Why they'll I don't be, think school, they'll I don't be think back. School districts are going to continue to pay Zoom for district licenses three years from now. I could be wrong. I, I, I think you're completely right. Yeah, I think you're right. I, snow days will resurface. Now, whether we have reliably snowy weather in the mid-Atlantic to create snow days is <laughs> yeah. with With global warming, yeah. uh, snow days might not be happening as much yeah. anymore. All right, so you were right. Good job, Mr. Siddons. <laughs> you're, you're the, the death. Every, every time I get the email that says, instruction will continue as normal, I'm like, oh. <laughs> But there's a half inch of snow. This is ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. What, how, what am I supposed to? Tw- what am I supposed to send to my older brother in Boston about how we get our schools closed for a half an inch of snow? I, I wonder if I, that three week period of snow, rain, sleet, frozen rain events. I wonder how many snow days we would have had out of that. Oh, Ten. I think we, at least eight. Seriously? Yes. Between between, I'm, I'm counting like uh, closures, early releases. The whole shebang. All, the whole all, shebang. To, all totaled. Eight to ten. Yeah. Okay. That's 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 a bit more than I would say. I would say I would have said we would have had four solid days off. Four is a good prediction. Yeah. But yeah. Four solid days off. Absolutely. All right. Uh, don't go away. We when we come back, we are going to have uh, representatives from the Bond Project building our network of diversity. Um, Dr. Daryl Howard and my old friend, Mr. Philip Yarborough, are going to be joining Ed's Not Dead. They'll be with us when we come back. Don't go anywhere. All right, fellas, we are incredibly excited to welcome our two guests from Bond, which is building our network of diversity project, an organization that focuses on the recruitment, development, retention, and empowerment of male educators of color. We're going to start with Dr. Daryl Howard. Dr. Howard, welcome to the show. Can you give our listeners a sense of where Bond came from and what the journey's been like in building up your incredible collective? Sure. Um, first, thank you all for, uh, for having us here. Um, I've always wanted to be on this, so I'm, I'm yeah. happy. To- yeah, this is that. Good. <laughs> I, remember, I remember seeing you and Blair one day, and I was like, Dr. Howard, we got to get you on the show. Do you remember Very that? Nice. How, long, how long ago was that? That was like yeah. three years ago, maybe two years ago. Great things take time. <laughs> so so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the long story in a very short and concise way. Um, it, it was at the end of 2013. Um, I wasn't actually part of the Bond Project at that time, but uh, Dr. Inger Swimson, she saw something that concerned her about retention of the male educators of color in in the district. And, um, you know, a lot of people put a focus on the, you know, we need to recruit, recruit, recruit. Yes, that's part of what we need to do. But um, when you see a number of individuals leaving and going to neighboring districts, I think that's uh, a concern that's of, you know, of, of equal equal value, um, and so she reached out to a few folks, and they had some conversations about ways in which they could um, support teachers who were were interested in um, in just having more dialogue about what some of their challenges were, 
And um, so they paired up veteran teachers who were willing to be part of this with, you know, first and second year teachers. Um, so it really began as a as a informal mentoring type of um, uh, program. So that's the that's the short story um, of how we came to be. That's a great story. Yeah. Um, and, and, and on that note about recruitment, uh, Bond, as, as we know, advocates for the increased hiring of, of male educators of color. Um, a majority of plurality of educators are white and female. We know that. Our children of color currently have a lack of, of having educators who look like them. And, and it's not only students of color who benefit, but all students who benefit from a diverse teaching staff. Where, where does Bond uh, come in on, on making this, um, this advocacy effort work in terms of recruiting teachers, a diverse teaching force? So, yeah, so we, we really do kind of like live and die by that, that model of windows and mirrors, um, students being able to see themselves, but other students being able to see through a window of a world or set of experiences that they may have very little uh, familiarity with. Sure. What do you think schools need to do to recruit recruit a, a, a more diverse teaching force? I mean, you know, Daryl touched upon it a little bit, right? But I think the biggest piece is like, especially at a high school, right, which which can be so large, is really connecting those folks with people that they can relate to. I need to be able to to see folks that look like me. And then how I'm going to connect to them. I'm curious. We've had this conversation, Daryl and Phil, a lot of times on the pod about getting high school students interested in teaching. Um, that, you know, we have magnet programs for every, every subject or discipline you can imagine. But teaching is not high up there on the, uh, on the pecking order of, of attractive professions so I would ask you all as, as, as two leaders in schools, how do you get young males of color interested in seeing teaching, leading as, as a viable profession? Ask them. <laughs> ask them. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I can tell you, to me, it's just, it's down, you ask them, right? I, I got into education because of, you know, of a teacher who I had in high school. There was only one black male teacher that I had on my, all of my schooling in New York wow. City. Wow. And when I graduated from high school, I said, man, I, there's, you know, there's got to be something more to this. Like, this is crazy. So I went to a historically black university. And then I saw all with the exception of three of my professors who are people of color. And one of them asked me, he's like, man, do you want to, you know, would you be interested in education? I was like, Dr. Thomas, Dr. Freddie Thomas at Virginia State. I was like, do you know how who I was in high school? Like, no way, not at all. But he was like, you know, I, I think I see this in you. I think I see that in you. You know, here's some things that's, that you need. Here's some benefits to it. And then he hooked me. You know, one question I have. So I've worked um, in schools where um, teachers of color have turned over on a fairly regular basis. And I've worked in schools where teachers of color have stuck around and are the, the main teaching force and have been for some time. How do white school leaders retain teachers of color? We talk about, you know, in a classroom with kids, right? Like, in order, you got to connect before you can pull. So what is it that's going to connect that person to your building to want to stay? Right? When I think about retention, right? Reacting to like, what's my support system? Right. Like you, you want me to stay in a system. Right. But what what's the support that I'm going to have to grow me, you know, to grow me personally, not to grow like to grow me to meet your goals as a school, you know, as a school leader, as a or as a school system, but to grow me as a person. Right. To grow my skill sets, to grow me as a leader. Like, what are those things? Right. It's got to be something that I got to be able to connect to that I'm going to want to stay there. Right. I take that point. I, I, I'm curious. One of the things I've thought about a lot in the last couple of years is as a, as a teacher coach and as a department chair for a while, um, you know, we're always talking about opportunity gaps and the achievement gap. And, and I, I, I'm paying with a broad brush, but our, our students of color broadly don't have the most positive experience in schools. 
by and large, right? They're, they're, the, um, the reason why I bring that up is like most people that go into teaching, at least that I've experienced, you know, they played school when they played school when they were kids and they loved, you know, trying to be a teacher. I didn't want to be a teacher. I had a terrible experience in middle and high school that pushed me to want to be a teacher, which I, I don't think is necessarily the norm. But what, what is your sense about building teacher capacity as part of your efforts to, to really, if students are having, if students of color are having more positive experiences in schools, perhaps they'd be more willing to go into the teaching profession. Yeah. And I think that's a part of one of our, one of our mantras. Like if, if school was a better experience for black boys, more of them would want to be teachers. And if school was a better experience for male educators of color, more of them would want to stay in a profession. Right. Um, and so that's, that's kind of like what our work looks like. We're always thinking about how to create better experiences and how to create spaces for folks to feel that, that belonging and that inclusion that they're looking for. So, so when, when Crable asked the question about like retention, um, you know, I started thinking like one of the child, like a, on the elementary school level, and I don't know how, if you want to have ever worked, like there's very few guys of any, of any racial cultural group, right? Right. Yeah, male's not at that level. Struggle. Right. Mr. Dodd, Mr. Dodd or Dr. Dodd over there was. I was an elementary teacher and it was, <laughs> it was me and the building services manager and the PE teacher. Yeah. Uh, that, that, yeah. That was it. Yep. Yep. And so, and so our elementary school guys don't see any guys who share any of the same cultural experiences and then they don't Absolutely. share the same gender experiences with the rest of the staff. So it's like that isolation can be, can be overwhelming. Yes. Like we've had elementary school guys come to our bond meetings and it's like 50 or 60 black and Latino guys are and they're like, who the hell are these? Like, <laughs> I've never seen them before. Y'all work like, here too? They <laughs> so yeah, so it's a, it's a good experience for them in that, in that, in that way. I remember watching friend of the pod, Troy body when he was an elementary principal and he was a, he was a rock star. I mean, he was, he had been an elementary male teacher um, and then as an elementary male principal, the influence that he had on the kids in his school was tremendous. So um, in many systems, many systems are becoming resegregated uh, by student population. Um, we, can, we can see examples of it not too far from where we live. I, I'm curious about your thoughts as leaders in Bond about teachers of color, male teachers of color specifically, and the, and the kinds of schools that they're recruited to work in. Um, because it's obviously important, as we've talked about, to have um, male teachers of color with our students of color. But what about those schools where there aren't as many students of color? And we have mostly white students. And um, I, I mean, I would almost argue that that population, in order to address issues of racism and bias, the only way that we're going to do that is have integrated diverse staffs in those settings. But at the same time, I'm concerned as a Caucasian person who can't relate to a person of color's experience in a school, you know, that might not be such a great experience for a, for a male teacher of color. I think what Phil said earlier, um, like feeling connected with that school and that school leadership, like school leadership matters yeah. so much. Yeah. It matters so much. Um, and being able to connect that leader and feeling like you're growing in that space um, is important. And I think people will, will ride the wave if they feel supported and feel like they belong. Um, but oftentimes people feel like they are um, isolated, tokenized. Right. Um, and then when you, if you're pushing like, if you're pushing more, uh, if you're pushing broader ideas about diversity and equity and um, race and some staff members aren't, aren't on board with that and the principal isn't, really supporting that either like 
why? Like, why am I, why am I going to fight here for, right. for those issues when I'm, I'm alone fighting for it? Right. Like, so I think those are some of the challenges that, that exist. So uh, to, to kind of put a, an end cap on our, our chat here, that one of the, one of the things I wanted to give you all the space to talk about is the Bond Academy. Uh, I went to a, you know, pre-COVID PC, I went to a Bond Academy and it was one of legitimately one of the best professional development experiences that I've had as an educator and a school leader. Um, So your next Bond Academy is coming up May 14th to the 16th. Can you tell us, tell our listeners about it and how they can find more information about it? We'll obviously put it on our, our, our uh, links as well. Sure. Um, so one one other thing I would do, just want to insert in real quick. One thing that we have started during this time of COVID um, is what we call the Bond um, Learning and Leadership Institute for Boys. So when we talk about growing these teachers for the future, like we have a hundred, it's close to 150 boys who are registered grades four through 12. Um, we meet with them one time per month on a Saturday morning, and we talk about various issues um, that are going on in our lives. And this is open to all boys, okay. of course, um, largely uh, Black and Latino students who come out, um, but certainly um, a good space for for growth yeah. um, for these youngsters. That's great. To the Academy, May 14th through the 16th. Yeah, so we have this full weekend of, of activities planned. Right now, we have over 50 speakers from California to Texas to Virginia to like all over the all over the country. Folks that we've met in our travels who are doing similar similar work and can share a voice or a new perspective that that we haven't been able to communicate yeah. in, our, in our local community. So I'm excited about about what's to come for for May. Yeah, that's yep. awesome. I'm Everything's excited for on the site. Nice. Yep. We'll we'll tweet out the information about it and and all the different. Uh, the flyer, I have the flyer in my file, so we'll definitely share that as well. All right, Dr. Howard and Mr. Yarborough, where can where can our listeners uh, find everything they need to know about the Bond Project? Definitely check our website. Good, Sorry. Yep. Yeah, nah, we're, I'm, we're probably saying the same thing. <laughs> www.bondeducators.org. Yep. All right. How about how about how about Twitter? Twitter at Bond Educators. Dr. Daryl Howard and Mr. Philip Yarbrough, it's been an honor to have you on Ed's Not Dead. Keep up the incredible work with Bond, building our network of diversity project. Um, Make sure you check them out on their website and follow them on social media. And Daryl and and Phil, we will get you back on the show soon. Thanks so much for coming to Ed's Not Dead. Appreciate it. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm still joined by my co-host, Mr. C.H. Siddons and Mr. Peter Crable. We are Hello. Back. We are back, boys. Listeners, we are glad you didn't go away. Uh, we just had an amazing interview with Dr. Daryl Howard and Mr. Philip Yarborough of the Bond Project. It was tremendous having those gentlemen on, wasn't it? Tremendous. It yep. Educational leaders making a huge impact on schools with yes. their work in recruiting and retaining male educators of color in our schools. All right, let's switch gears. We've got two articles that we are going to compare and contrast, as they used to say in English class. Valerie Strauss (laughs) recently on her blog had a piece called The COVID-19 Stress Test in Two School Districts. And then we have a, a piece back from 2012 by the late, or about the late Richard Elmore, who was a professor in the Harvard Graduate School of Education and his take on uh, the current state back in 2012. And I guess you would imagine the future state uh, with his quote, I do not believe in the institutional structure of public schooling anymore. So fellas, in Valerie Strauss's piece, um, which is really by David Kerp, um, it focuses on two school districts, uh, one of which was the subject of a book called Improbable Scholars, which was Union City School District in New Jersey. And then the other school di- district is Union Public Schools in Oklahoma. 
And the gist of this is, is the pandemic was a stress test. It presented Union and Union City with massive challenges as well as a potential opportunity. As was true everywhere, these school systems encountered hiccups along the way, but the solid foundation of these districts, the fact that they are truly school systems, I'm waiting, Mr. Sidden, say it. There is no system. I think Not there's now that DeVos is gone, but yeah. Oh, the, yeah, the, system, the systems are back, sorry. Yeah, systems of schools coupled with their laser-like focus on keeping all of their students, especially those likeliest to be derailed by COVID-19 on track to graduate, has seen them through. We pride ourselves on always being three steps ahead. That's how Superintendent Sylvia Albato summarized the ethos of Union City school system. So essentially what Kerp is saying is that these two school systems um, that face lots of challenges rose to the challenge of COVID-19 and innovated, stayed ahead of the curve and ensured that their students uh, were able to continue to connect and uh, log in and receive instruction uh, in the midst of a pandemic. So I contrast that with um, Richard Elmore, who is the father of a very popular book, I would say a decade ago. Is that about right? Instructional Rounds, yep, yep. which I mentioned that <laughs> I maybe only got like halfway through. Um, <laughs> He, I, remember, his, I remember when you bought it for us. I, I did. I bought it for you all, didn't yeah, I? And, and did. we tried to use it. We had the theory of action at the end. That's right. right. And That's it was right. All, all based on a theory of action. Uh, Dr. Elmore says, I do not believe in the institutional structure of public schooling anymore. Palliative care. <laughs> I mean, that is, I, I had to <laughs> use that. I, I, had to, I had to use that word in my own personal life just a couple of years ago. That is a heavy word. Palliative care for a dying institution, a progressive disassociation between learning and schooling. <laughs> so uh, the upshot of Elmore's um, take on public schooling is that essentially the institution is broken and really um, in its brokenness does not match or in any way have kept up with new research on how students learn um, and the, and in the in the piece, it goes on to say not necessarily research on how students learn from countries like the United States or Finland, but from lesser developed countries and some interesting work on brain science and how um, kids and other cultures learn. And that uh, we're we're basically doing it all wrong. Uh, he goes on to say that the um, what signifies this brokenness the most is the American public high school. <laughs> So that's your favorite all, quote in the whole thing. Yeah. With, with all that said, Union City, um, uh, the, and uh, what's the other school district? Union in it's I think it's Union School District <laughs> in Oklahoma. Yeah, it's yeah. confusing. They're both yeah. Union. I know. I told you there was a lot of. They both start with U's. <laughs> I, it was way too, way too. Valerie Strauss should have picked two different sounding school systems. <laughs> anyway, um, so I ask you to. What's true? If I may. I see extreme thinking here. Dr. Elmore, rest in peace. He obviously had grown increasingly disillusioned with American public schooling. And in the midst of of a pandemic, we see two school systems who have a history of adapting and doing doing their best on behalf of students. They're they're trying to make the most of it. What's, What's true? I, you know, I was thinking about the 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 piece on Valerie Strauss's piece or Kerp, I should say, um, about these two school districts. And I recall conversations we had when COVID was just starting, and we had our first Zoom, you know, episodes. And I think I said it a couple times where school districts are not prepared, and we're not prepared to go to an all online format. And and I but they did. The, but they did. Well, well here's, hear me out. I, I, I don't want this to be construed as a way of like bashing on teachers. I think teachers are working harder than they've ever worked before. Administrators are working harder than they've ever before. Uh, but I think that in terms of shifting, other than these two case studies, which it seems like they both have shifted pretty successfully, I think there are, there are way too many examples uh, uh, non-examples, I should say, about how systems have shifted to the virtual format. And I think it's to the detriment of of, of our kids right now. And I, 
uh, it was actually very heartening to read the descriptions of these two districts and how they've, you know, they've played the dance and ha- have really focused on uh, how do we strengthen our, as much as we can, the type of education that kids are getting um, online. You, you sent me an incredibly interesting article, though, um, written by a parent of color uh, who argued, I thought, really persuasively about why there have been some positives in this for, for uh, black and brown students, um, because in a lot of ways, American public schools um, have not done right by communities of color and have failed them in many ways. Mm-hmm. And um, what those what what kids have to experience every day in school, they haven't had to experience those things. Yeah, in, in logging in online and learning in in a in a safe environment with their families, free free of microaggressions, free of having teachers who don't look like them. Um, you know, the the list goes on. I think it it certainly resonates. We'd be remiss to not say that online learning does work for some kids. Yes. Um, so that that's. That I'm compartmentalizing because that the Strauss article is is one thing, and the as you were reading the piece on Elmore, um, which I sent you about, when I first read it, I was like, I was in this pit of, uh, you know, I know. School, schools are dysfunctional or or they're not working right, and I sent it, and I was like, I kind of agree with this, and as you're reading out the different quotes. And the, the one by one by one, I was like, Ugh, maybe I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> I read, I, I take it all back. Ed is not dead. <laughs> I, I do, go ahead, Mr. Grapes. Yeah, no, and I do think um, when you parse out, so clearly Elmore, you know, he, for whatever reason, it just got so disillusioned and maybe he put all of his heart and soul into instructional rounds and thought that they really would be the be all end all um, strategy that would, you know, improve public schools or turn them around or whatever, whatever kind of trite phrase you want to put in. And and when maybe he saw that didn't happen, he kind of grew despondent, you know, just total guessing here. But when you take out some of that sort of extremist thinking and, and look for maybe, okay, well, where and if, is there any truth to the matter? You know, he talks about the emergence of technology, specifically, honestly, though, like, technology replacing teachers, which you know my feelings on. I don't think that is ever going to be a widespread um, solution. But then he talks about the growing neuroscience revealing how um, students learn. And I, you know, to be honest, I'm, I don't know enough about neuroscience and how kids learn to dissect and have too much of an argument about it. But I do think back to season one in our interview with Zaretta Hammond, and she is an expert on neuroscience and she talks about the, how dendrites grow and how the yellow sticky stuff is created in your brain as students make connections. Brain plasticity. There you go. And so I do sometimes wonder for schools, you guys just talked about microaggressions. You just talked about not positive experiences that do things like activate the amygdala that don't let the brain to actually be able to grow and learn raise levels of cortisol exactly so i i i wonder i think there is some truth to that Mm -hmm. um i don't have the solution for how to make neuroscience and learning better i remember i asked her a question well if a kid gets to seventh grade and they can't read like what are we supposed to do about it and she said well you teach them to read and I fear right. that that doesn't happen in middle and high schools, as the case may be. We're just pushing, 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 pushing. In look, you know, there's there's reasons for it. Valid, yes, of course. Um, you know, social one, ostracism is is a big one. So I do think in in that particular um, instance, there is some something to be said for that. And then I, the last point I want to make is, I think he talked his his one. Th- he, although he didn't necessarily say this, a point that I took away was. Kids learn and kids want to learn and kids will learn. Yeah. And when you think back as well, um, so actually Goldie Muhammad talks about this in Cultivating Genius and Zaretta Hammond talks about this, about the joy of learning mm-hmm. and about the interest in learning new things and that students are inherently joyful and inherently want to learn. Mm-hmm. And I think in the midst of all his his lamenting, I think that is in there as well is if and how are we bringing that about if how are we bringing that to the forefront do our schools do that with all of our students 
So those were kind of the points that I took amidst all the doom and gloom, which is certainly in there. <laughs> Uh, but those were the points that I was like, okay, well, where are the actually valid points? And that's that's kind of what I, I took away. Yeah, the I, the one quote that that I would like to that that I that I keyed in on was the and we were talking about this before we recorded the modal classroom in the is it modal or modal the modal classroom in the modal school in the United States is exactly the opposite of what we're learning about how human beings develop cognitively. Modal. <laughs> Modal's was a sports store. Modal. Owned the Ravens. (laughs) Art Modal. Is it model or model? (laughs) You're killing us. I'm serious. I think it's it's modal. Modal? The modal classroom in the modal school in the United States, I've never seen that word before, is exactly the opposite of what we're learning about how human beings develop cognitively. And then it, it, it goes on about how kids, as you were saying, Pete, Kids can master tremendously large amounts of information with minimal coercion aid or teaching from adults. And when we're trying to, the optimal conditions for learning include kids who are, who feel they are safe, first of all, that uh, we've talked about the zone of proximal development. So they're learning at a way that, in a way that challenges them just slightly enough that keeps them engaged. And then, you know, the promotion of academic choice in students' lives and what they're learning and how they're learning. And, of, you know, certainly we tried as schools are always trying to, number one goal is to make sure that kids are safe. I think the ZPD aspect and the academic choice aspect and meeting kids where they are is, is, is lacking in a lot of classrooms. Who's key, though, in the ZPD? Do you recall? I assume the teacher. The teacher. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. The, the the teacher is the difference in in the zone of proximal development. I I I just wanted to before we quit on this. There is one. There is one paragraph. Um, that that <laughs> the most broken I, institution in America. No, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it, this this could have. I could I couldn't have written it this well. But this the, it, it basically could have come out of my dissertation which is um, uh, Is the last one high schools though, in some ways are a smaller system that represents key deficiencies in the larger system of education itself, rigid bureaucratic structures and emphatic emphasis on institutional stability, which I would substitute the word legitimacy along with deeply vested and powerful interests that resist innovation and change. Mm have made deep school reform nearly impossible. I, I, he's not wrong. I he's mean, not that, wrong. That, that is, I, you know, I think that's 100% correct. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that the system is, is broken? No, because the system delivers what it was designed to deliver. Right. Um, and I, 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 the last thing I'll say is I don't remember that much about instructional rounds but I, I thought instructional rounds was a highly techni- overly technical kind of bureaucratic inspection of teaching, if I, yeah, recall, if I recall it correctly. I mean, it didn't really it get... It felt that way. It, yeah, it didn't really get at some of the issues of culture and access and opportunity and equity that, that, are, that plague our schools as much as what I think he thinks is just you know, the, 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 how the structures impact teaching, which I agree with. I mean, it's it's another, it's another instance of outsiders trying to treat schools like things that they are not like schools, aren't businesses, schools, aren't hospitals. Well, hospitals, that was his thing. I know I'm saying that, but businesses in terms of schools and charter schools or schools as hospitals or whatever. And the only thing that's more ineffective than than American public schools is the federal government, uh, uh, according, <laughs> according to according to the piece. Well, um, I I I leave with uh, I'll close with applauding the work of those two school systems uh, because those school systems are comprised of people who I'm sure have worked really hard on behalf of kids, um, and uh, I, I'm I'm not sure what to make of of Dr. Elmore's take. I'm not there. Because we are Ed's not dead, boys. That's right. <laughs> that's right. We're, you we're gotta, never. You got you to gotta know how the other side thinks, though. You yeah, know, we, right. we do. Yeah. Why is it? Yeah. Why is Ed dead? And then uh, you can go and you know yeah. clearly refute it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, and innovations are possible. And, and, I, and we encourage all of our colleagues out there to try them um, because you never know which one is going to catch fire and, and change something. That's right. Once, once upon a time, there was no outdoor education. There was no project success. There was no kindergarten. There was no junior high school. That's right. Those were all innovations. They didn't all work, um, but they were innovations. All right. It is that time of the show as much as Mr. Crable and I have tried to get out of it because <laughs> it's late and, and we're very tired. But Mr. Siddons is – You're going to like this one. He's going to push through. Quiz time. All right. It's a quiz. So I, I had an idea for a segment, um, but shockingly, I didn't do anything to, to get it together. <laughs> was, it a, but, was, it a, was it a Robbie Dodd remembering the 80s segment? It was not, no. Okay. No, All sorry. right. I forgot about that one. About 20 minutes ago, I started to research so I could usurp Casey's segment. Yeah. No, wow. Lame, 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 right. lame. Hit us with it. There's, there's a little movie connotation to it, Mr. Dodd, Dr. Dodd. You know, why, do you guys do it on purpose? You can't get it straight. Come on. No, it happened get, earlier today, and I thought it was pretty funny. Get with the yeah, – yeah, that was funny in front of, <laughs> in front of a group. Was, yeah. All right. So the quiz is uh, – Current events-ish. Is it absolutely ridiculous and bonkers statements from newly inaugurated representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, or is it from a movie? You ready? Yep, ready. All right, num- number one. An embattled former first lady is responsible for a series of murders. A decades-old kill list has been revealed and investigations ensue. Uh, that would, that would, yeah, yeah, I'd say movie. That's incorrect. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene. Number two, elites in a major political party are responsible for a satanic child sex trafficking ring. Oh, well, that's that's, that's an easy one. What is it? Marjorie Taylor Greene. That is correct. Ding. Come on, right down the road from us here. All Uh, right. Yeah, QAnon. Number three, a group of NSA employees conspired to kill a congressman. There continues to be a cover-up that ensues after a tape of the murder ends up in the possession of an unsuspecting lawyer. Uh, that's like oh, a John Grisham book. Oh, that's that's a good guess. Uh, yeah, I'll, Mr. Crable can take that one. It is a movie. Which movie? The Pelican Brief. Wrong. Uh, let me let me. Uh, <laughs> the only the John Fr- Grisham book. The, I can the, the French Connection. Enemy of the State, nineteen ninety eight. Will Smith oh. and Gene Hackman. Oh, Hackman. Terrible number, movie. Number. Yeah. <laughs> I actually liked it. Yeah, some uh, part to that. Number four. A son of Satan traveled from the late. 60s. Oh, oh, by the by the way, by the way. Yes. I said the French Connection. Gene Hackman. Great was, movie. Gene Hackman was in the French Connection. That's right, he was. 1972. Ooh. Great movie. <laughs> Number four, a son of Satan traveled from the late 1600s to modern times with the mission of destroying the world. That sounds that's like... A movie. That's a Keanu Reeves movie. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's that... Um, what was that book that was so popular back a few years ago that Tom Hanks was in the movie? Uh, that's just a Jeez. terrible way to... I mean, <laughs> he's done Every like, movie. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, I have no. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with movie though. It's a movie from 1989, so you're correct. Warlock. Number five. Number five. A I stoic, a stoic and serious former president and his nerdy advisors are secretly Muslim with plans to open up their country's borders to an impending crusade-like invasion of Muslims. That's got to be Marjorie Taylor <laughs> yeah, Greene. It be. is Marjorie Taylor Greene, correct? Yeah. Overuse of the word Muslim. I know, uh, I know. It was, it was. It was. This was. This is challenging for me to create. Number yeah. six: A former army cadet was brainwashed by their adversaries after being captured. He has since returned to civilian life in the U.S., where he has become an unwitting assassin in an international conspiracy to subvert and overthrow the U.S. government. Rambo. <laughs> I go with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. It is actually a movie. Uh-huh. The Manchurian Candidate, sixty-two. Oh, oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number seven. <laughs> I said Rambo. <laughs> that was good. That was, that was good. A major and devastating forest fire sweeps through California, forcing tens of thousands out of their homes. What was ultimately caused by space solar generator lasers? Uh, this is by Jewish people. One. <laughs> Anti-Semitism. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene. All right, Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's right. All right, this one's a tough one. Members of an alliance are scheming to force the ruler of a neighboring nation state to give them access to their airspace, allowing them to steal the country's precious resources. That's a movie. Uh, yeah, I couldn't, I don't know. I, I'll say movie. But I it is a movie. Which movie is it? 1987. Uh, can you read it again? Just not maybe yes. just parts of it. 
uh, members of an alliance are scheming to force the ruler of a neighboring nation state to give them access to their air space, allowing them to steal the country's precious resources. 1987. Uh-huh. Don't know. Spaceballs, the movie. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, was a, I was a senior in high school. I didn't see Spaceballs. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one. An eccentric, fun-loving judge presides over an urban night court. The judge presides over the court, which deals with petty crimes, which can be dealt with in a dime a dozen manner. Movie. Night court. Uh, it's actually not a movie. It's night court, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I got that one. That was that good. Was, that was good. See, I told you it'd be good. Who was in night court? Anybody remember? Oh, the, the guy, I, I can picture his face. Uh, John, is it John something? I think it's, I, would, I thought Night Court was Henry Winkler. Uh, Henry oh, Winkler really? was not, he was, I think he was a producer. Was he? Yeah. Would you look that up real quick for us as we, as we yes. sign off on the show? Night Court. All right. Thanks again to our very special hey, guest, Dr. Harry Bill. Anderson. Harry Anderson. Okay. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have known that. John Larroquette. John Larroquette. That's John Larroquette. There you go. Uh, Dr. Daryl Howard and Mr. Philip Yarborough from the Bond Project. They were terrific. Um, Check out uh, Bond at at their website. And folks, you've got to check out (laughs) Pandemic Pass. That's right. Uh, New episode each Thursday morning. Four episodes posted so far, right, Mr. Sids? That's right. And there's multi-parters up in there. And they are on our website, so don't miss out on Pandemic Pass. Um, and then I Hate Politics podcast. Uh, this is our friend of the pod, uh, Sunil Dapguska, got Dasgupta. Um, and he is at Sunil Dasgupta4, and his podcast is at HPPOD. I need to check out Sunil's work. Yeah, it's good. Got to hear him. Yeah. It's awesome. Yep. As always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. Check us out on Twitter. I just learned tonight that we have 1,900 followers. Way to go, Way to go, Mr. Krabs. I don't even know who's in charge of the Twitter account now. At Ed's Not Dead PC. And uh, check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Uh, Mr. Sids, who do you got coming up on the show? You're always you always got surprises for us. Oh well, we have uh, Dan Reed from uh, oh. from up the Pike. Very nice. Uh, he's a local journalist. He's going to be on yep. the pod and, and does get does great on. work. Yep. yep, yep. And uh, we have one more person in the in the works, but I'm not going to say it because it's not confirmed. And uh, well, I'm working on it. All right, sounds good. <laughs> All right, as always, thanks for joining us. Not dead. Spread the word about the pod we appreciate you tuning in and for peter and casey take good care stay safe and we'll talk to you soon see you fellas